Welcome to the Better Birth Podcast. My name's Erin and I'm a hypnobirthing and antenatal instructor, birth activist and all-round birth geek. In this podcast, I chat to experts in the field of pregnancy and birth, debunking myths around birth, diving into the research around maternity care and exploring what is it that means you're more likely to have a positive birthing experience. If you enjoy this podcast, do feel free to buy me a coffee and fund my caffeine habit. Link to my buy me a coffee page is in the podcast info. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Better Birth Podcast. I am super duper excited today to be speaking to Bonnie, who has agreed to come on and talk to us about her maternal assisted cesarean birth story. Welcome, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Oh, thanks for volunteering to come on and, and tell us your story. Because I'm I'm the reason I'm so excited to hear your story is because maternal assisted cesareans are something that I think are absolutely fantastic. Um, if anyone doesn't know what a maternal assisted cesarean is, then go back a few episodes and listen to Dr. Natalie Elphinstone's podcast recording on maternal assisted cesareans. Um, and um, then you'll be able to find out what it is. But it's essentially it's what it says in the tin, right? It's it's the, the mother uh, reaching down and bringing their baby out of their abdomen themselves rather than the, the surgeon or obstetrician doing it. Um, so Bonnie, do you want to introduce your, yourself and um, just uh, tell everyone who you are yeah. and um, and then you can tell us your wonderful story? <laughs> For sure. So hi everyone, I'm Bonnie. Uh, I'm an actor um, and have wear many other hats um, alongside that, but the, my main job is, um, is I'm an actor. Um, so I'm based in South East London. We spent quite a long time getting pregnant. So it was quite a, it was quite a journey to get, to get there. Um, so it felt like quite high stakes, I think. And we were very lucky to be with, we chose to, to be with Kings because um, yeah, we, we kind of heard good things about them and, and we felt fairly safe being with them. I had, as I think a lot of people do, I had all of those wonderful, um, ideas about um wanting to be a bit of an earth mother and have um have a baby at home and and maybe a water birth and and all these sort of things um my my mum had two home births with myself and my sister so there was a kind of a a family history there that I felt really really proud of and like I would like to be part of um but we we got told about it was a it was around when I was 20 something weeks so it was fairly early doors and they said oh it just we're just going to do a couple of extra scans we're just going to keep a little eye on you because there's a few things that that we're just not quite sure about so it transpired that they that they thought I had um vasa previa which obviously then I went home and Googled because that's what you do because you don't get enough information <laughs> when you go to these appointments. They're kind of, you know, people are really nice and they're doing their best, but they're busy and you have a 15 minute appointment and you feel like you've been hit by a truck and you go home and you try and work out what on earth all of those things that they said mean. So over over my pregnancy, I've yeah, we it was 
it was a term that was kind of sort of batted around and like you might have and so there was this constant like do I have it do I not is it okay is it not um as time progressed it became clear that um that that was looking more and more likely and I also had a velamentous cord insertion so um the way the kind of the best way they explained it and actually there's some great images that are really simple diagrams but basically there are cords that where is that nice cord that runs between the baby and the placenta should be up and out of the way it isn't it's running across the cervix so if you suddenly went into labor the possibility of you cutting off baby's life source so what what we what we understood that meant was that um it was goodbye to <laughs> to a lot of those lovely plans around home births and that it was very much um the likelihood was it was going to be a very medicalized procedure from that point on and that we were going to be in hospital from 32 weeks um and i think you know that that was a lot to take in and it felt like a lot to let go of because I suddenly felt that I didn't have control over any of the, you know, any of the process really. Um, and it wasn't really even as simple as just, just then going in at 32 weeks. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of waiting around and, and kind of <laughs> ringing the hospital and being like, is it today? <laughs> do, do I come today? Do I not? And because everyone was juggling COVID and, and everything else, there was a lot of, um, we really want you to come in today but we don't have a bed available for you. So we think you're safer to stay at home today, but please come in tomorrow and, you know, juggling around. So it was, you know, it was, it was pretty stressful. I also, um, in my wisdom, thought I was going to hop off for a little baby moon before baby arrived. And it just happened to be the day before that we had a scan. And she said, she was hilarious. She was very funny. And she was like, um, I mean, you're not planning to leave the country, are you? <laughs> Me and yeah. my partner looked at each other. And I was like, actually, well, yeah, I'm going to go to Barcelona tomorrow. And she was like, no, no, you're not even going to leave oh, London no. from now. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so that was at 28 weeks that we got told that. And then just before that, I was told that I was on pelvic rest. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a fitness freak. Like I, I do personal training sort of part time. And I was riding my bike pregnant. You know, I had this lovely big sign on my back saying, <laughs> you know mind the bump or whatever and it it just so there's a lot of things that were lost anyway we got into hospital eventually at 32 32 plus four I think it was um and I had I'd been in once to meet them after a scan and I had also um done one of the kings do a kind of um an online course for like three sessions with a midwife and I'd spoken to some of the midwives there and also got quite triggered because <laughs> they had um in this course they you know this course was supposed to be for everyone and then the whole course is set up around things like going into labor and what your choices are and I sat there for three sessions going out of my mind because I was like one, these aren't choices that I have. Two, it's physically dangerous for my baby if I do go into labour. So labour is not an option. Um, and three, like this, if this course isn't for everyone, then say so. <laughs> so I'm I'm hoping that they, they said that they were going to take that on and they were going to make some changes because I really think it's not about changing what the course is, but it's about changing which sessions are appropriate for, for who. 
um, and, and making that really clear. Like if you're not going to be going to labour, if you're if you have a medical whatever, um, or you know you're going to have to have a C-section, then don't attend this session. Yeah. Because the other thing that I found with C-sections was there was a real sense that um, there were two options of C-section. One is that it's an emergency. The other is that it's an elective. I don't really feel like either of those terms cover my situation or a lot of other people's mm. situation. Mm -hmm. It's not elective. If there was any other option, I would have not have elected for a C-section. Mm -hmm. So I think that term elective has to work really hard because, you know, I didn't feel like it was a choice. And yet when you're coming up against and you're meeting other mums-to-be or medical professionals, all they see is that word elective and then they make all sorts of assumptions. And, <laughs> and if you're me, you're sat there screaming internally, this isn't a choice. <laughs> yeah, medically necessary is very different, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. actually I think that would be a much better term. That's yeah. a great term, Erin. Can you just make sure that that term becomes... <laughs> I'll feed that back to the MVP <laughs> because I'm under King, so I'll make sure they know. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> um, so we were, we were at King's for uh, nearly five weeks. Um, and in that time when we done that lovely course with the midwives they said oh you know because you're there for such a long you're a long stay because you've got these complications you'll be in your pr private room so don't worry your partner can be there and we got there and within a couple of days there were other things that were were of higher priority and so we got moved between private room and ward throughout the five weeks which was incredibly traumatizing yeah um particularly because sometimes I was in a ward with people who'd given birth I didn't know whether that was definitely going to work, whether it was definitely going to be okay. You know, it's such a high risk situation. And I was also in a ward with people who were going to, who, who were going into labour, who were in the early stages of labour, which was really triggering. Yeah. 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 I can imagine how difficult that must be when you know that that choice has been taken away from you, you know, not by any, anything, you know, within your control, and then it's being waved in front of you. Like it's, that's that's really awful. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that because that must've been so difficult to experience. Um, and that should have been considered and take, you know, you know, when, when deciding where to, where to put you. You know, and I, and I get it because you, you only have to be there for a certain amount of time to see that everyone is so stretched. Yeah they are mm. you know they're up against it mm. and it's you know my little one's a year now and I it's I kind of wondered doing this podcast whether I'd be triggered triggered and you know mm. I still am <laughs> and I've I've you know I've, I've talked about it I've done quite a lot of work on it and it's it's interesting that that sense of lack of empathy through no one's fault you know no one is trying to be mm. And it does feel very cruel, mm. yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, on the plus side, having that, that amount of time meant that I spent a long time <laughs> on Google and on Instagram. Um, and I found podcasts and posts by people like you mm. who were continually reminding me that there were ways of taking back a little bit of power and and making choices, even in a situation where it felt like there were no choices to be made. And that, 
you know that felt that felt really important and so I think we spent my partner is luckily freelance and he spent every night in hospital with me on a pull-out bed in a situation where you know I don't know anyone else that did that and he just said I get it you're terrified of hospitals I'm not leaving and he spent five weeks in hospital with me so I am so blessed Mm. um to have him and to have had his support and so we we spent time talking about about how we could make this this c-section um work for us and what was interesting was that every um every day you have a round a, a doctor's round and they come around and so over five weeks you meet a lot of doctors and I think the the common I I believe misconception is that medical science is um is is rigid and um and clear and there is only one answer and I feel that as lay people we think doctor knows best the difficulty is what do you do when you've met 25 doctors and they don't all say the same thing yeah and actually I found that really empowering because having realized that they didn't all have the same opinion I could then align myself with whichever opinion felt best and most empowering for me Mm -hmm. so there were some doctors that said no you can't leave the ward you need to stay on the ward for the whole five weeks regardless of your mental health and then there were other doctors who were hilarious and said things like just don't tell me <laughs> I don't <really> know. <laughs> as long as you're with your partner as long as you know the risk as long as you're not going you know more than 100 meters and if you're really struggling with your mental health make sure everyone knows where you are make sure you know what the drill is what the deal is and just just don't go out for too long and, and which, just just don't tell me which is the right answer by the way yeah. the first one is wrong <laughs> well you know in five weeks I spent so much time and I can't even remember the name of the park now which I'm gutted about the park next door to King's is just the most beautiful space and it was April so it was full of blossom and people mm-hmm. and I couldn't see anyone on the ward other than my partner because it was COVID. So I was able to walk to the park and I was able to see my mum and see my sister and and see all these people that were just refilling my tank and, Mm. you know, cheering me to get through. So that park was a godsend, you know, Um, and I understood the risks. And there was one or two days when I was put on monitoring and things seemed a little bit rocky. And so on those days, I didn't go anywhere. But I was really lucky that most of the time, 90% of the time when I was on monitoring, baby looked great. I was fine. So I was just really lucky to be able to see those people that that were keeping me going, that were cheering me on through this incredibly long marathon of hospital time for someone who, you know, it's just my the worst possible place I could be. I just, you know, I don't like hospitals. A lot of people don't. I figure that. Um, but But going back to the sort of, the doctors what was interesting was I started to ask questions about about my birth about what you know what was possible uh and the date was a really big one and the MFM who I had spoken to had originally said I would be able to give birth between 35 and 37 weeks providing there were no complications when I was admitted, I was told I'd be delivering at 34 weeks. Oh, wow. And there was just, 
it was a huge shock. There was no way that was what I wanted. I'd done a lot of research by that point and I, you know, obviously you have to weigh up the risk of going into spontaneous labour or early labour versus holding out a little bit longer so that baby has a little bit more time to grow and develop. Mm-hmm. Um, but given my situation and my circumstances and the monitoring that I'd had, I felt that it was worth holding out a little bit longer. And doctors really had varying responses to, to that request of, of kind of holding out. Um, and obviously one of the things that was difficult was that it really varied depending on which doctor I spoke to as to what was possible uh, and what their recommendation was. Um, so the, the general consensus seemed to be that around 35 weeks was was what their policy was. Um, and then there was 36 weeks. Most doctors seemed to kind of be a bit kind of wobbly about, but but we could just about get on board with. But when you started getting towards 37 weeks, they got twitchy at the idea of it. The difficulty was that 36 to 37 weeks for me fell over Easter. And that was obviously then a problem um, for Kings in terms of elective C-section lists, because there aren't any over Easter um, and the number of doctors that are in. And there was a little bit of, um, with one or two doctors, there was a little bit of scaremongering in my experience, Mm. where they sort of suggested that if I didn't do it at 35 weeks, um, it was a little bit irresponsible. Um, And my argument was, if it is that important that it is done prior to 37 weeks, there'll be a list available. Yeah. If it's not, there won't be. Mm-hmm. But taking out a week because of an, a like a, an arbitrary holiday is just not a conversation I'm going to have with you. Mm-hmm. So if 36 weeks is not an option, we'll be going at 37. And I was probably that one <laughs> for a lot of people uh, during my five-week stay because I wasn't trying to be difficult but I wasn't willing to make choices based on hospital policy that was irrelevant, yeah. based on holidays that were irrelevant and based on anything else that wasn't prioritising my experience, my baby's well-being and our, you know, our lives. Yeah. Um, so we ended up going for 37 plus two which was very difficult for a lot of people (laughs) Um, and which I felt really positive about. And I totally appreciate that is not the situation for everyone who has vasoprevia. And I am not for a minute saying that everyone that has vasoprevia should hold out as long as possible. Like I'm really not coming from that place. But given my situation, my family history of overdue babies, and and sort of babies going full term and, and above and how I felt and the, all the monitoring we'd had 37 plus two felt good for me mm-hmm. and that's so that's the decision I I made um the there were there were definitely several conversations where they booked me in for an earlier date and I had asked to be moved on to a later date and they said that wasn't possible and so I had to say, 
you are going to need to cancel my c-section because i will not be going and you will have to come and have a conversation with me and they didn't want to cancel it because they wanted to leave it in place so that they could just gently nudge me through the system and i was not willing for that to happen so um only when i cancelled the date that they booked in did i then have some communication about what was possible um and i was amazed at how different doctors responded um there was also a lot of chat about whether i had the steroids or not there is amazingly one of the doctors told me about new research that year that i was able to look up and then quote back to other doctors who were in the same department oh, who were telling me it was absolutely fundamental and essential that i had these and i was able to literally quote back to them research that the other doctor on the round had allowed me to have access to which said that 37 weeks it's a conversation not an essential so we didn't have steroids um my amazing baby Rui did not need to go into NICU there was no special attention or care needed and we had an amazing amazing maternally assisted c-section basically because I saw it on Instagram mm -hmm. which is <laughs> insane um and I'm not a fan of social media in a lot of ways but it was a lifeline mm. and I actually watched one on Instagram and thought this is really empowering this is something that I want to see if we can do I almost it was almost one of those things where you're like I can't quite believe my luck I don't know if I can persuade anyone that this is going to be okay but if I can I've got to I've got to do that um, because for me, experiencing or processing trauma, I, I process trauma much better if I am fully present. If it is something that happens to me and I'm not there, then the processing takes a lot longer because I'm, I'm disconnected from it. Connecting to it, owning it, empowers me to process it. And so doing a maternally assisted C-section felt like that would be what that was. Um, it took me a long time to find out what doctor I would be having a C-section with. That was another fun fight. Um, I did manage to find out. I was terrified because he was very experienced, but he wasn't the doctor that I'd in my head thought I wanted. I'd found a female doctor and I thought she'd be a better fit, but she wasn't available. Um, and then this doctor came and spoke to us and he was brilliant. Because whereas other doctors on the rounds had said to us, when I said, I would like a maternally assisted C-section, please, can this conversation start to be had? Um, they said things like, what do you mean? Do you want music? And, um, oh, well, I suppose you can, you know, what is it? You just, you want some skin to skin afterwards or something. And we're very dismissive. This particular doctor came and sat with us, came and sat on the bed, looked me straight in the eye and said, okay, what is it that you understand to be a maternally assisted C-section? What, what, is, what is that to you? What does it look like? And so myself and my partner had written a list. We were really clear about all the things that, that were included. We were also clear about the things that were essential, the things that were possible and the things that we had questions about. And we went through all those points with him and he took a little bit of time and then he said, okay, 
if providing everything goes to plan, this will be the first time the team has done it. But if you're willing for that to be the case and you're aware of that, then I see no reason why we can't go ahead. And that was just the most exciting moment because it was finally like, you know, some of the midwives were so empowering, but it felt like you were getting empowering support from midwives and then like head on collision with doctors. And to do that for five weeks is utterly exhausting. Mm. And it's not fair to say that that was always the case. There were some doctors that were brilliant and there were some midwives that were less than brilliant. But generally, that was the that was the dynamic. And so to have a doctor sit down, face me eye to eye and say, I understand what you're asking. And I think providing you understand the risks and you're willing to see how it goes on the day. And if we can't do it, we veto and that's OK with you, then then I'm I'm OK to try it. Um. So. We had two conversations with him on the morning um, of the C-section. We went into theatre and I scrubbed up, which was like surreal. <laughs> um, sort of getting my head around the fact that I was scrubbing up because I was going to be um, helping was was crazy. And it's amazing how many people are in are in a C-section. There's a there's a whole lot of people, and I think it's really tough not knowing the midwives I you know I appreciate it's not possible but good god if I could have known one of those midwives having been there for five weeks yeah who have just had one friendly face who I recognized would have been amazing and saying that the team were incredible you know the anaesthetist was just like mind-blowing he was funny and low-key and droll and all the right things to kind of just get through that scenario um the doctor had warned me that there'd be a lot of chat because they were having to communicate about this process that they didn't in a way they didn't normally do so there was a lot more conversation um we had decided to have a um a soundtrack which we'd picked hilarious how many songs you actually think oh, I love this song and then you think no absolutely not appropriate to give birth to you don't want to give birth <laughs> to that song um, <laughs> But um, we started off with a sheet in front just to do the initial cuts. Um, and I think that was sensible. Initially, I thought I didn't want that. But actually, I think that was a smart move because it's a lot to process. Um, but I could hear what was happening and they talked me through everything. So I was very clear about what was happening when it was happening. My partner was sat with me the whole time. The minute the cuts had been done, the cloth came down, which meant that I could then see my tummy. I could see that it was cut open. And then I got to watch as they began to um, get baby's head out. And um, I think what's mind blowing at that point is that you can see it, but you can't feel it in a way. Um, so just watching his head trying to be pulled up from my from my tummy and they couldn't get his head out initially so they did end up using forceps briefly just to maneuver his head out and the second his head was he was at about chin up out of my womb the doctor said Bonnie are you ready and I was so like 
my mind was so blown that I almost couldn't remember my own name you know <laughs> sort of you're just, <laughs> this incredible thing is happening and you just you almost forget that you have this part to play um but the team were really supportive and reminded me where to be and what to do and so as the as his head came up the doctor reminded me to put my arms down and I tucked my my hands underneath his armpits and so the surgeon was towards the end and I was at the front and we lifted him so I lifted him with support um straight up and then was able to bring him with support straight to my chest and just to have that moment of ultimately with support delivering my own baby Mm. just felt so empowering Mm. to feel like this was not a process that was happening to me it was a process that was happening with me that I was fully engaged fully connected fully part of rather than hold the curtain up shut your eyes it'll all be all right in the end which just feels like we're in wartime (laughs) it's like you know Mm. these things are not just happening to women we are we are there we are present we are part of it and and it's also totally fine if that doesn't work for for anyone I get that that it's not everyone's um preference but for it to be a choice and for it to be something that people are aware that they can have a choice rather than feeling that a c-section means you've lost all your power you have no decisions left it is happening to you I think is essential to know that there is a choice where you can be you can partake in the birth and the delivery of your own baby is I mean there's nothing like it Mm. I never thought I could feel positive about a c-section and I do Mm. because I feel like a superhero you know like who else can say yep I was cut in half blood pissing everywhere and I like an absolute you know hero reached down and pulled my squalling bloodied baby out of my tummy that's that's hero stuff right there so empowering so So empowering but you but you you empowered you 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 took hold of that control and power all the way through your pregnancy the second that you went into hospital you realize that right because I don't don't think I think it's very hard for a lot of people to even question the people in the white coats Mm -hmm. right and the fact that you did all your I mean you obviously had so much time when you were staying in hospital to do all that research but the fact that you did all that research and you educated yourself and you asked questions and you had the confidence and the grit to say, oh, hold on a minute. No, I'm not doing that. Thank you for the recommendation. But no, I want to do this. So how are you going to how are you going to make this work for me and for my baby? That's I mean, that's badass stuff, really. I mean, it really, really is. I've got so much respect for you for everything that you did and the way you've handled your pregnancy all the way up to after your baby was born, like. I was saying, you know, in a break when we were recording, I mean, you you have paved the way for countless women giving birth at Kings now. The fact that you stood up and you went, this is what I want. Find me someone that's going to do it. And you got what, what you deserved, quite frankly, and that your baby deserved. Like now there is precedent, you know, some somebody else can ask for that and they can't get told, no, we can't do that because it's been done before. 
you know mm-hmm. um, and not just for kings you know like every person that's asked for a maternal assisted cesarean in the UK and I reckon I could probably count on one hand how many people have done that in the UK I've heard of very few maternal assisted cesareans you are pioneers in the UK you are asking for things that are, you're paving the way for other people to be able to have that choice you know so what a fantastic thing to do for you and your baby but also what a fantastic thing to do for everybody else that comes after you you know and and the fact that you're sharing it with me as well so that more people can hear about it you know I think it's a really brave thing to do so thank you so much for sharing your story I think it's a really really important one um and I really hope that lots of other people listening to this who are feeling disempowered and feeling upset and you know feeling a loss you know mourning the birth that they thought they were going to have will will be reassured and empowered to think okay well actually right how are we going to make this positive how are we going to make this a really amazing birth because you you do still have options you know so yeah I think you're amazing thank you thank you and honestly it's so lovely to be able to to be able to share it you know and to utilize your platform to be able to share that information because you're right I am really passionate about it I do want other people to feel like there is a choice and that because of you know just because of a diagnosis or one doctor's opinion it is that it is a it is a a medical opinion but there are multiple medical opinions and there are so many doctors that go through that hospital and that go through every hospital that is one voice and there are so many more and so it is worth continuing to ask the questions and and you know making this informed decisions and not just going with what one person's opinion is and thinking that's the only the only way forward for your birth yeah yeah it's, it's one thing that I say to all my clients you know ask for a second opinion you know because because mm-hmm. the people that you're dealing with the people that you're interacting with they're human beings they have their own personal opinions they have bias you know yeah. absolutely you know they're not robots so you know it is worthwhile asking different people and asking for different opinions and then and then making your own decision you know and you you know you you gathered all that information um you went with your gut in the end really well, that's what you did when you decided to go to 30 to 37 plus two you went with your gut you went with your instinct and that's hugely important you know really important because they're all you know pressurizing you to give birth earlier and your gut was telling you that's not right um, and you listen to your instincts and I think that's really really a really important point to make yeah yeah definitely and to for him you know he was totally healthy we were home within two days after a c-section because I was going to stagger out there come hell or high water but he was fine <laughs> you know and that that was about that was about the monitoring and the, the confidence that I'd had but but it was it was a gut instinct he is going to be okay he is okay in me right now and so he's going to stay there as long as possible regardless of any you know Easter holidays or anything else that's yeah. that's coming up mm. oh, and it was, for us it was the right decision so. yeah absolutely was your gut was right your instincts were right yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I can't wait to publish this. I'm like, I want to, I want to send it out now. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be so many people listening to this and they will be really 
uh, reassured and fired up probably to be marching into their appointments going right this is what I want for my c-section and I know it's been done because it's been done at King's so um, thank you so much Bonnie for, for sharing your story with with everybody you're very welcome thank you for having me oh take care you too The Better Birth Podcast and all of its content is for educational and informational purposes only. You should consult your midwife or your doctor for anything in relation to your own pregnancy and birth. The opinions and the views of the guests on the Better Birth Podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Better Birth or Erin Fung.